following audio file is an excerpt from a Dharma talk presented on June 28, 2011, in which Dharmacharya Joanne Friday offers an introduction to the five mindfulness trainings of the Order of Interbeing. What can I possibly do that will cause the least amount of suffering for myself and everybody else? So, um, the really important thing, I think, in all of them, like I said, number one, it helps us to develop compassion for ourselves. They can help us to develop understanding of ourselves. If we practice any one of these five and look deeply, try to live in accordance with them, we can really have a lot of insights as to where we get caught, uh, what kind of habit, energy, and conditioning we've had, and the thing that I find about all of them is that um, they help us to develop a deep respect for ourselves, each other, and the planet. It's all about uh, really understanding how precious it all is. Thich Nhat Hanh calls them protections. He said these are all protections. They protect our consciousness. They're ways we have of taking really good care of our consciousness. When we talked about the fifth train, when I talked about it the last time, and I talked about uh, mindful consumption and the ways that we're guardians of all the gates of our perception, the ways we take in the world through all of our senses and our mind, uh, our taste, touch, sight, and the mind itself through our thinking and our perceptions. Those are the ways in which we take in uh, all the nourishment. And we can either be eating really wholesome foods or we can be eating poisons. So it's up to us to be guardians of those gates. Those are the gates to our consciousness. What we take in will determine the quality of our consciousness. It determines our happiness. It determines the quality of our consciousness is what determines the quality of the transmission. That we're transmitting and receiving energy every minute and the quality of that transmission is determined by the quality of our consciousness. If I spend all of my time listening to uh, say, uh, people who are upset and angry, uh, chances are really good that I'm going to be in an agitated state. And the energy that I'm going to be transmitting is going to be very agitated. That's what's going to be felt. So if we want peace on the planet, the first order of business is for us to be peace. We cannot possibly be creating peace if we are not at peace ourselves. It's impossible. So knowing that, then it's just a matter of developing our mindfulness and concentration. Those are the two ways we have of becoming more and more and more aware and more selective. In Buddhist psychology, it said we have seeds in our store consciousness, the seeds for anger, hatred, love, kindness, everything. All the seeds of everything are in our, it would be our subconscious, but it's considered to be the store. And uh, Thich Nhat Hanh says, those seeds need watering. And if we water all the wholesome seeds, that's what's going to manifest. If we water the unwholesome seeds, that's what's going to manifest. So he said we have to be selective gardeners. We have to be selective waterers. We have to be careful about which seeds we're watering. And again, there's nothing in here that we should be motivated by fear. That's not part of this. It's not, oh, I'm really afraid of what will happen if I don't do that right. It's purely out of love and compassion for ourselves, each other, and the planet that we want to be our highest self. We want to be able to manifest 
our true nature beautifully. Like it said, aware of the suffering caused when we're not. I'm choosing to do that. It's as simple as that. I always look at this, it's like I didn't come to the practice till I was 40 years old. And I thought, I can't imagine how young people, you know, it's so great when they can come to the practice early on because for me it was like having lived long enough to know that this will cause suffering and I'd rather not do that. It's wonderful when you see people who haven't caused a whole lot of suffering yet and they're still uh, aware of taking really good care of themselves and each other. So that's the, uh, the spirit in which these things are offered. And again, it tells us everything too about our own habit energy and our conditioning. When we read these, pay attention to what aversions arise in us. Because a lot of times we can read things like this and it's like, oh wow, they're telling me determined not to gamble, use alcohol, drugs, other toxins, websites, electronic games, TV, oh boy, I'm not going to have any fun. You know, uh, it's just like white knuckling and not doing anything ever again. And this really tells us about ourselves. It tells us more about ourselves than it does about the training. Because a lot of us have trouble, uh, it's like that uh, little adolescent in us kicks up. You're not going to tell me what to do. I can do that. They won't bother me. We can get get our dander up a little bit. When in fact, it's not saying you never watch a TV program, you never watch a film, you never you never uh, read a magazine. It's not saying that. It's saying be selective. What TV programs are we watching? What games are we playing? The Supreme Court just today did the thing about the video games, saying that. It would be perfectly okay to have any kind of video games for children. Uh, that's their freedom of speech. And yet we know that when we have uh, young children watering those seeds in themselves, that's what manifests. It's just that simple. It's like, what seeds are we watering? That's what's going to manifest in the consciousness. So again, uh, selective watering. We all are doing the dance constantly between craving and aversion. That's what our minds go to. I want this to be this way, and I have an aversion to this being the way it is. I want things to be different than they are. To watch our minds do that. And how often during the day can I simply just say, this is what is. It's fine. This is what is. It's fine. I think I talked to you the last time about views, attachment to views and things like that, and to have an opinion-free day. This is a practice I use. When I read the sutras or study these things, I try to come up with practices for myself. I invent practices. It's like, if I want to really take this in, what do I do in my daily life? How can I apply these things in my daily life so that I can experience it. The Buddha said, don't take anybody's word for anything. Trust your experience. How do we have the experience is the question. So say that I'm looking at my own mind and I see that the first training is about um, duality. Seeing that harmful actions arise from anger, fear, greed, and intolerance, which in turn comes from dualistic and discriminative thinking, I will cultivate openness, non-discrimination, and non-attachment to views in order to transform violence, fanaticism, and dogmatism in myself and in the world. Okay, Sounds good. How do we apply it? What do we do in our daily life? We have to become mindful, and we have to 
practice concentration. That's why we do our sitting meditation, constantly bring ourselves back to develop our concentration. I can choose where to place my mind. If I can choose where to place my mind for the hour of sitting, I can do that in the other 23 hours of my day. It tells me I have the capacity to do that. Then I have to string together more moments of being able to be mindful. So I can be aware of when I'm engaging in discriminative thinking, when I'm not being tolerant, when I'm being judging and critical, when I'm separating myself out from another person, when I'm telling myself I'm better than, I'm less than, I'm equal to, whatever it is that I'm separating myself out. So for me, I'll read something like this, and then I have to come up with a practice. What can I do to keep my attention there? What can I do to remind myself? And so I take some days and I'll just say, okay, today it's just judgments and criticism. I just want to watch my judgments of myself and everybody else. That's all I'm going to do today. Just pay attention to that one thing. I'm giving myself a vacation from the rest of the practice. Just want to do that. And then what I find is that, uh, what was so funny, one of the guys I'm mentoring said that he found that he was just stunned because we were studying a sutra that's about the same thing. And uh, he said, what I realized was that there's a guy that walked by with all these tattoos, and I immediately felt superior mm -hmm. to that person. I don't have tattoos. He does. I'm a better person. And he said, I couldn't believe that about myself. I just couldn't believe I felt like that. And then he said, and then a guy with dreadlocks came by, and I had some idea what his life must be like. I have no clue. And he was just noticing these just built-in biases that he had. And just to notice is a good step in the right direction. And to call ourselves on it and say, I have no clue. Are you sure? No. No idea. And for me, it's like I can go for a day and just look at judgments and criticisms, and mostly of myself. I can see when I've done something, I made a mistake, I didn't do something correctly, if I criticize myself, to myself. Um, and then where that led me was to have days where I try not to have an opinion. So do it. You can try it in the privacy of your own home. An opinion-free day. I can see the wheels turning now. <laughs> <laughs> really? We have opinions about everything. I don't know about you, but I found that's what's true for me. I have opinions about everything. And uh, it's a nice day. It's a bad day. It's wonderful weather. It's not. It's like, it's just what it is. I don't have to have an opinion. I can just let it be. What a concept. You know, and the thing that was most shocking to me when I was really focusing on it was to find out that nothing bad happened. I didn't have an opinion, and the world didn't shift off its axis. Nothing changed, perceptive, you know, it just perceptibly, nothing changed. The world wasn't depending on my opinions. What a relief. I could retire. It was so good. So give it a shot. I mean, um, I haven't yet achieved it for 24 hours, but it's really fun to try. And it's really nice when I can be aware and let go. Be aware and let go. And just to feel the difference between being caught in my opinion and being caught in the separation and then just easing out and being free. It's a good thing. So the other thing I wanted to say tonight, and I want to leave plenty of time for our sharing tonight, 
But the other thing I wanted to talk a little bit about this week, one thing that has come up, I told you before, I think I mentor quite a few people, and lots of times there are themes that run through weeks at a time. And this week, it was very interesting because there were a number of people who were noticing in their habits of mind and in their way of being in the world, how it had been influenced by their childhood, which we've talked about a lot in the past. But in this particular case, in their lifetimes, they've had real tragedies, like serious losses happen. And they were noticing how that was affecting them in the present. There were a couple people who had lost siblings very early in their life through accidental death. And what had happened, and they were totally unaware of it, but what they could see as adults is that they were very anxious parents. They were very anxious with their children that they were pretty anxious all around and wanted to make sure that they could save people, that they would get involved in situations where they were trying to take care of and save people and make sure everybody's okay, make sure nothing bad happens. But they live with a very high level of anxiety. And whenever we've been in situations like that in our lives, it's just important. It's not a matter of uh, looking at ourselves and saying, Oh, then I'm ruined for life. That's just horrible, terrible, awful, and that was just my karma. Just, no. Again, it's just being mindful and being able to see it for what it is. I have this anxiety in myself. I need to breathe. I need to come back to myself and breathe. I have this desire to make sure nothing bad happens. I need to let that go. All I need to do is develop my capacity to respond skillfully to whatever does happen. There's not going to be any controlling everything that happens in the world. I need to get very comfortable with my limitations, which are something I have in common with 100% of other human beings. Master Linchi, the patriarch of our order, Thich Nhat Hanh, they all tell us, if you're trying to be a saint, if you're trying to save beings, if you're trying to be his holiness, give it up. Let it go. Breathe and come back to yourself. Take refuge in your breath. Take refuge in your steps. Just what we do when we come here. Take refuge in your breath. Take refuge in your steps. Go back to yourself. Get in touch with your true nature. That you are a precious wonder of life just like everybody. And let that manifest. Exactly as it was meant to. You don't have to try to be anything. When I talked about sitting without trying, not trying to achieve anything. You're just allowing the breath to be breathing you. You're just stopping, resting, and healing. This is what Lin Chi taught us about our life. We don't have to try to be anybody else. We just need to stop, breathe, and come back try our best to get in touch with our true nature. Just let it manifest. We don't have to effort. No efforting. And when we can do that, when we can stop and get back in touch with our breath, we're happy. It's just happiness happens. It should be bumper stickers, like I said. It's true. How many of you feel miserable after we've done sitting, walking, and sitting? Very few, I bet. Right? Isn't it a relief just to be able to stop? 
just to be with wonderful people sitting, walking, and sitting, and enjoying the wonders of life, <laughs> our breath and our steps. That's it. So I just wanted to share that. And the other thing, to be aware of how our conditioning colors our perceptions, colors our responses to things. And when we recognize what it is, we don't have to be driven by it. That's the main reason that we do this. Once we can recognize, yes, it's like uh, when Ty says, hi, anger, my little friend, you're back again. It's not trying to get rid of those parts of ourselves. It's not trying to say, I'm going to make sure that that anxiety, uh, I get rid of my anxiety. No, I'm going to acknowledge my anxiety. I'm going to embrace it and say, I'm really anxious. I'm going to breathe. I'm going to call my anxiety up to be with me, and I'm going to listen. What does it have to tell me? And these people, what they found was their anxiety had to tell them, I've been with you since you were a child, and you had a really bad thing happen. And that's when I decided to take over, and I'm going to protect you from ever feeling like that again. And then you tell your anxiety, you've done a great job. Here I am, I'm an adult, it's worked so far. Now, I really feel like I'm a lot safer than I was before. I can handle things a lot better than I could. So you can go into retirement now. You can take a trip to Bermuda, and I think I'll be fine. I really appreciate all of your love and care, and I know you're going to be down there in my store of consciousness, hanging out in a hammock, playing shuffleboard, tennis, whatever. But I really don't need you to be on guard anymore. Okay? So we're not getting rid of it. We're just shifting our relationship with it. We're not trying to get rid of any part of ourselves. When we do this, embracing our tiger, that's what we're doing. I embrace it all. I'm owning all of it. I'm not at war with myself. I'm not at war with any part of myself. Just embrace it all, accept it, but I'm not being driven by it through ignorance. I'm not ignorant of what I'm carrying around. When I'm ignorant of what's in my store consciousness, I am dangerous. Because I have no idea. I'm a loose cannon on the deck. I can react in any way at any time. And I make people very afraid. This is what we do when we're acting out of ignorance. We build nuclear power plants on earthquake faults, things like that, that can be scary to other beings. <laughs> so we don't want to do that. And we do it in small ways, even just by ourselves. And the other thing is that suffering exists these mindfulness trainings are not so that we'll never suffer again. It's not to guard against suffering. I want to make sure I don't suffer. So therefore, I'm going to be really good and do everything exactly right, and then I won't suffer. Wrong. The Buddha didn't go around for 40 years saying suffering exists because we're not going to do it anymore. We're going to suffer. Suffering happens. But what's going to happen is with more and more practice over time, our relationship with suffering gets transformed. And what we recognize is we don't have to make it any worse than it is. It's just suffering. It's a part of life. I don't have to make it into a drama. I don't have to make it into you know an action-adventure flick, nothing. I just have to recognize, yep, this is suffering. I'm experiencing suffering right now. How can I skillfully attend to it? So it's not that we get rid of suffering either. It's just that our relationship with it is different. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And this is why Thich Nhat Hanh talks about the goodness of suffering. 
He said, I don't want a nirvana where there's no suffering. When we have suffered, when our hearts have been broken, that's when our hearts open up to recognize our interconnection with everything. If you don't believe it, look at any disaster on the planet and you'll see a bunch of broken hearts recognizing their interconnection. It's the truth. When our hearts are broken, that's when we have an opportunity to see that, yep, my suffering is part of the big suffering. I've got everything in common with every being on this planet. And that's bliss. And that's the joy that's in the middle of suffering. <laughs> that's a lot for me to go over in one little talk. <laughs>